Welcome to In the Envelope, an awards podcast. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage. I'm here to give you a front row seat to the Emmys, Oscars, SAG, and Tony's races. Who is in the running? What makes an award-worthy performance? And what are the secrets to giving one? These intimate, inspirational conversations with some of today's most talented stars provide you, dear listener, the kind of craft and career advice that could win you a statue of your own, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. Between stage and screen, what I do, my work feels the same, the same thought processes and the same intensity of thought, hopefully, as some great British actor once said, it's, uh, it's the same as film, only shouting. So, here we are. Hello. Hello. It is time for the Oscars. Oh, my goodness. Is this it? This is our big pre-Oscars. Again. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, is this our third year of doing pre-Oscars? I think it is, yeah. Content? Yeah. Wow. And we today have a leading actor Oscar nominee. Yeah, yeah. Jonathan Price. And that Um, was the only other time we had Willem Dafoe, right? Yeah, we had Willem Dafoe for the Florida Project, I believe. Yeah. So I think he was nominated last year and the year before, but it was the year before for Florida Project. And um, this year, it's worth saying, it's worth pointing out, this is a shorter than usual Oscar season. Mm. Um, the Oscars are, are earlier in February, and so everything's a bit everything's a bit squeezed. Yeah, a little compressed, yeah. A little compressed. Uh, everyone's quite busy. Um I'm always busy this time of year, but it seems so are the uh, the stars and actors, which is why I'm very pleased that we were able to get Jonathan Price. Yeah, definitely. And let's not forget BAFTAs as well. And he's nominated for BAFTAs. In fact, he just left to get on a plane to London to go <laughs> be at the BAFTAs. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Oh, the life of a film star. Yeah. <laughs> and we did talk about how there's the the press aspect of the two popes. He's He's never seen a film more. He's never promoted a film more. And yeah, with good reason. It's a it's a big, far-reaching film. It's on Netflix, and it's also he's playing the current pope. There's a lot to get into. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and what a great opportunity to hear about how somebody builds, you know, a real life person who's very much in the public eye. And yeah, no pressure with 1.2 billion Catholics in the world who could weigh in on his portrayal of this, you know, this fictional portrayal of this real person. Yeah, and I I thought especially so hearing his process throughout his whole career, actually. And one thing that stood out, I don't know if you agree with me on this, but um, that really stood out to me was the fact that he has stood up for himself with Mm -hmm. directors and with other cast members. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure that stood him in good stead for this role. Mm. Yeah, for this role specifically. Yeah. Yeah, it was very cool to hear about um, the many different ways that one develops a craft Mm. is also about developing yeah like a philosophy and a and a, a way of asserting yourself and creating boundaries and that all takes practice yeah and instinct um, apparently and instinct and the, and of course it comes back to the training we talked about the training and Jonathan is a, he's a legend he's got a lot of practice yeah. in this stuff 
I find sometimes I will say in, I'm just going to say this, this is, doesn't apply to our podcast, but sometimes you ask someone about stage versus screen, like advice or technique or what are the differences and the answers are super boring or like the question is boring. Like there's just something that's not interesting about learning about how an actor does stage versus screen. Yeah. But with Jonathan just now, it, I've heard things I've never heard before, Yeah, which is always great. And I think this is, again, a textbook thing where somebody who's maybe they're a theater trained actor who's trying to figure out how to do film or trying to see really are they just two of the exact same processes and one is an audience and one is a, a camera lens. This is a great interview for yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. And, one, and quite a hilarious quote on that subject, actually, as well, which we won't uh-huh. give away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a funny guy. He's a, he's an odd. Do you, did you see Brazil? Like, are you a... I saw Brazil, yeah, years ago. And when I was going through a big Terry Gilliam yes, okay. alternative phase. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, I'm a big Terry Gilliam, Jonathan Price collaboration yeah, fan. definitely. Shout out to Jim Smart, my dad, who's definitely his favorite actor is Jonathan Price. Oh, this cool. Is, yeah. This one's for him. <laughs> All right. We should probably get to it for him then. <laughs> yes. Let's get to this amazing interview with Jonathan. This podcast is brought to you by Backstage, the world's number one casting platform. Listen, a lot of the guests on In the Envelope, an awards podcast, used Backstage at the beginning of their careers. It's how they are now in the running for Emmy, for Oscar, for Tony, etc. If you are at the beginning of your career as an artist, here's what you do. You go to backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code envelope at checkout for a free 30-day trial. That's right. Free 30-day trial if you go to backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code envelope. All you got to do then is make a profile, upload a headshot, and start applying to jobs to the thousands of casting notices that are uploaded every day, which you can filter online to match your specific talents, your specific needs, your specific looks. Get that dream started today. Check out that free 30-day trial, backstage.com slash subscribe, enter the code envelope. Let's do it. Stage and screen legend Jonathan Price has built a career of fascinating, varied characters from his breakout in Brazil, the first of many collaborations with Terry Gilliam, to hits like Evita, Tomorrow Never Dies, Pirates of the Caribbean, and Game of Thrones. Born in Wales, trained at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London and the Everyman Theatre in Liverpool, and winning two Tonys and two Oliviers for his work on stage, Jonathan is now being recognized for his portrayal of Pope Francis in Netflix's The Two Popes, earning him a Leading Actor Academy Award nomination. Here's our interview with Jonathan Price. Jonathan, have you have you done podcasts before? Yes? Yeah. Yes? This isn't my first podcast. Good, okay. No. <laughs> and it's not your first time talking backstage either. You were on a cover recently. Yes, Great. yeah, yeah. So, is your whole life just doing these interviews now and talking about the two popes? Uh, more or less, yes. <laughs> Are yeah. you tired of talking about it? Um, well, I've been talking about it since uh, Telluride. It's the mm-hmm. end of August. Mm-hmm. And I did a play, as you know, I did a play on Broadway. Right. At the end of last year for three months. And uh, talking about it all through that, flying, on my days off was flying to L.A., flying to London, oh, wow. to the Hamptons, to Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um and then once I finished the play, I've been traveling uh, all over Europe and wow. to Buenos Aires and Amazing. L.A. and New York. 
London, and the, and Paris. The Vatican as well. well, we had a, a screening in Rome uh, <laughs> cool. to which the Vatican were invited. Okay. And um, that all went down very well. We, there was a number of priests came and a, wow. the odd bishop and a cardinal. And um, Cardinal Turkson, uh, who's a close friend of Benedict's oh, wow. and a friend of Francis. <laughs> cool. He said he liked the film. Oh, he thought great. Francis would like the film. Uh, and asked for a DVD to take. To Francis? To show it to Francis, yeah. <laughs> so we haven't great. had a reaction from him No, yet. we don't know for sure. No. Much like the movie is uh, patched together from a bunch of different things they've said on the record, but it's yeah. largely an imagined, yeah, yeah. An imagined yeah. thing. Yeah. And I'm sure you've talked about this a lot, but playing a real person, you've, I'm sure you've studied so yeah. much his footage. He's got footage for decades. Yeah. You, did you study his his mannerisms, his accent, yeah, yeah, everything? Yeah, did all that. How many um, languages did you speak in the film? I spoke Spanish, English with a Spanish accent, <laughs> um, a, li- a bit of Latin and French. And how much of that was brand new? Well, the, the I said French, uh, Italian, just because I speak French. But um, uh-huh. okay, um, the. Well, I I learned everything that was in the script. I learned okay. um, yeah. so you know I had a, a bit of Spanish, a bit of Italian, but usually it got me through uh, ordering a meal in a restaurant, and that'd be about it. Okay. Um, but it, it was uh, no, it was a joy to do it, and it's uh, yeah, it was great, especially making the speech from the balcony. His kind of uh, big... the celebratory speech. Yes. Um To get to do that in Italian was. Uh, was really good in front of an an actual huge crowd. No, about three people okay. standing down there. And <laughs> and it, not in but the when Vatican. you see it, it's uh, it's extraordinary. There, there's um, the CGI in this film mm-hmm. is so good. Yeah. yeah, you do you don't notice the joints because we mm. we weren't allowed to film anywhere uh, in or near the Vatican. Right. Um, so we've got scenes uh, in front of St. Peter's. And scenes uh, looking back at the crowds when he was kind of uh, inaugurated as Pope. Mm-hmm. We absolutely cannot tell. No. I can't tell. And I was when I saw the footage of in front of St Peter's. I thought that's mm-hmm. really good. They managed to get some real uh, you know, background. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, it's uh, it's fantastic. It's remarkable. So what we, I mean, because we didn't get that kind of cooperation from the Vatican, right? We built. The Sistine Chapel. Yes, I was wondering uh, at about that. Yeah, and uh, it's um, it, it, it is it was absolutely fantastic. It was a complete recreation of the Sistine Chapel, wow. uh, minus the ceiling because the studio wasn't high enough. Oh, so the studio the the ceiling is CGI. Okay, um, CGI. Okay. But the rest is uh, you know it was real. It's five. I think it's five centimeters. Just a few inches bigger than the real Sistine mm-hmm. Chapel, so that uh, Mark Tildesley, the the designer, could boast that he'd built the biggest Sistine Chapel in the world. Gotcha, without the ceiling. Yeah, yeah. That's so interesting because it really does feel it's almost shot like a documentary, and it you like you said you can't tell that it's not really no filmed no, there certainly. No. And you, you when you were there, you you there was a kind of aura that you were actually. In the the chapel itself, okay. it did feel like it. Sure, you know. Well, I imagine a lot of that, a lot of this process of creating this, of playing this character, had to had to involve putting yourself in a mindset, in a in yeah. a spiritual as well as a physical mindset of yeah. I am wearing these robes, 
I am in this Sistine Chapel with the Pope. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm a cardinal. You yeah. know. Did you? Um, what were your first impressions like when you got this this role? Well, it. it um, you know, I was I was nervous at first because I thought you know it, a living Pope. I'm not going to please everybody. I, um, sure. But. Uh, I think because I had, I felt such enormous empathy towards him as a man. Mm. Was when he was created Pope, he was the first Pope that I ever thought was speaking to me and thousands like oh. me. Um, mm. Not about faith or religion, but about the world at large, about society. Yeah. And uh, changes that had to be made um, concerning mm. the environment, the economy, the inequality. Mm-hmm. Um, the refugee crisis, which still exists, so I saw him as a as a uh, a leader and an inspirational figure. Yeah, as well as being a, a leader of uh, one point two, I think it is billion Catholics. Mm-hmm. When uh, Ted, the uh, head of Netflix, when we were in um, we were in Buenos Aires and we were talking about how Netflix was uh, expanding into. South America, uh-huh. and uh, he referred to this uh, audience of 1.2 billion, and I thought that was that we had <laughs> 1.2 billion subscribers. He was actually talking about the Catholic <laughs> Church. Anyway, um, I'm sh- I'm sure they're not far off 1.2 billion subscribers at this point. Um, yeah, yeah, but it I, it wasn't difficult to get into his mindset because I mm-hmm. I felt great uh, as I said uh, sympathy for him. Yeah. Um, and it was, uh, you know, it helped that I look a little like him. Yes, sure. Um, I discovered that uh, far from my having to learn how to walk like him, he actually walks like me anyway. Okay. He's got a slight, oh, I've got a slight limp, he's got a slight oh. limp. But, uh, no, it was, and I watched lots of YouTube of him mm-hmm. as well. Um, not only the kind of, uh, the present day, stuff but uh, mm-hmm. got, there, there is some footage of when he was cool. in Buenos Aires very cool and when he was uh, a particular piece of footage when he was being interviewed by his fellow cardinals mm-hmm. uh, for his possible talking about his possible involvement with the colonels mm-hmm. uh, oh. so sort of darker side of him yes yes which the film yeah, touches but it was on all great. Yeah. yeah but it's good to hear that you were nervous I almost feel like if you weren't nervous taking on one of the biggest public figures in yeah. the public yeah. eye, like you said, 1.2 billion people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, no pressure, right? Well, <laughs> um, I don't know. I, it's it, Sometimes it, it, it felt to me, when I think about it, because I don't think about it very often, this kind of thing, but... Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I've taken on roles in the theatre that are kind of iconic roles that people, my fair lady, and yes. everyone goes, oh, you'll never be as good as Rex Harrison or, right. or uh, Hamlet, Oliver. Or... Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. I, re- I remember um, I did Oliver in the, the West End playing Fagin, mm-hmm. and uh, I would go out to the stage door in between shows uh, to sign autographs mm-hmm. after the matinee. And there were a few people there. I signed the autographs, and there was one man left there and he was you know i was i was i was in automatic smiling mode sure. and uh i was <laughs> signing his program for him and he was saying it's marvelous mr price absolutely wonderful yes th- uh, thank you so much and i handed the program back to him and as he turned away he said you were just this much behind ron moody 
behind. <laughs> it's all great. Behind. And I was still smiling while I realised what he'd said. <laughs> right, oh, come back. Hey, wait a minute. Yeah, but... Um, Ranking these performances. Yes. <laughs> so somebody's going to come up and say, you know, you're just this much behind the real Pope. <laughs> the real Pope. He's very good. Right. I mean, if, if that, that's the person that you have to go off of. The, what the the best you can do is an approximation, is it? Yeah, well, well you what you get. try to do, I mean, it's it's certainly not an impersonation, but it, it's right. you have to get the the character of the man. Right. It's it's more text based. It's more based on the script. It is, yeah, as always, yeah. right? And the, the 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 script is incredibly good, and yes. uh, so all that is a given. You know what you're saying, yeah. Um, and it's it's just how to say it, just how to. Bring how it, yeah bring it across you're not shoehorning in some like you said impersonation no, or some impression no. of the real pope you're doing the yeah. scripts pope. yeah it's, yeah and the movie acknowledges that it, it almost acknowledges i feel like that it's a kind of fiction that it's imagining these conversations yeah between these men because the, the odd thing is you do see the the real uh, the two popes at the end the real people yeah. at the end and when I, the first time i saw it at a screening I thought, oh, I don't know if that's right, whether it kind of undermines mm. what uh, Tony Hopkins and I have been doing. Mm-hmm. But it actually, it uh, gives it some sense of authority because you do see these two men uh, greeting each other with great affection. Yes. Yeah. And you see that, oh, they must have come a point because they were antagonistic towards each other, yeah. even our characters in the film as well. Mm-hmm. And as they, as Tony and I have gone on this journey of discovering um, mm. that we, you know, get on and possibly like each other, uh-huh. um, then, then you, when you do see the real people greeting each other, yeah. it's very, it's, uh, it's actually very touching. I think yeah. very moving. And it validates everything we've done for the previous two hours. Yeah, you can see them maybe watching soccer together. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. But, uh, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. 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 And Certainly you having a nice cup of tea. I think. Yes. Yeah. And very, very intense, but but lighthearted conversations yeah. about the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anthony Hopkins, Tony, did you? Um, you said that you were you were nervous to work with him too. Well, I, I, apprehensive is more rather uh-huh. than nervous. I'm apprehensive about any project you go into, which I think is a healthy feeling to have. Other, you know, if you go in overconfident and. Sure. Uh, you're going to mess it up somewhere, mm. um, but I'd um, I'd always been a, a fan of his, um, and he's a fellow Welshman. Mm-hmm. Um, but and we'd worked together for like 27, 28 years ago. Oh. We're both on a recording of Under Milk Wood, uh, oh. where he plays first voice and I play second voice. Oh, interesting! So it was produced by George Martin. And we also did a, a, a live performance of it after we'd made the CD oh, cool. with people like Tom Jones was on it and uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones and oh. Half of Wales is on it. Um, but I hadn't uh, come across him or met him mm-hmm. in the intervening years. So, uh, you know, you don't, he's, he's a big star um, and... Uh, Rightly so, and mm-hmm. you don't know how. I mean, I've I've worked with big stars before, and some are great, and some are not so great. Sure, um, <laughs> but he was absolutely wonderful, and um, it's a bit like you see the relationship between the the two popes, how they uh, skirting around each other at mm-hmm. the beginning, not knowing what's what each other is really like, mm. and then they, they go on this 
arc where they end up tangoing together. Yes. And uh, I mean, that was me and Tony. And it, uh, cool. We've never actually tangoed in public together, but I'm sure that day will come. <laughs> yes. Maybe at the Oscars. At the Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's so it, safe to say it mirrored your arc with him. Yeah. It mirrored the arc yeah. of the film. So yeah. maybe you're using that that uh, dynamic between the two of you in the Well, portrayal. I don't know. You know, you don't consciously mm. uh, use it. Mm-hmm. It's only in retrospect when you're sitting down doing a podcast and things that you, <laughs> you think, yes. oh, that, that's what my relationship is like. Yeah. Um, because you're not, while well, you're, well, you're living it, you're not judging it. No, you're right. You're not assessing it. But working with him was an absolute delight. It was, it was yeah. great. Really great. Yeah, I'm... On this podcast, we always try to try to get at the hub of of a of a an actor's creative process and of their you know preparation and and of course training. I would love to hear about your kind of beginnings on this whole path. Mm. It, is it safe to say there's not a set process for each role? You mentioned the is there a checklist of when you're impersonating, especially a real person? You mentioned the walk and the voice and the yeah. No, I, I don't have a, a, a process. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose I'm much more an instinctive actor. Mm-hmm. Even um, when rehearsing a, a theatre piece, uh, my preparation is 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 te- nearly always text based. Mm. And mm-hmm. what I don't do because I can't do it is learn a, a script before I go into rehearsals. Okay, I learn while I'm doing it, uh. and uh, that's always been the way. I'm the I'm the last one to put down the book as it were okay. I'll, I'll carry rather than fumble trying to remember the lines oh, I, sure. I'd be happier carrying the book and to I'm be... quite adept at that Yeah, I don't have to you know stop pause and think mm-hmm. um, many directors these days want their cast to learn the lines before they go into rehearsal oh. because the director feels he can't do his or her work okay. until everyone knows their lines but that's you know if you if you all start on the same page, as it were, right. um, you you go on that journey together, together and discover things together. Yeah, I've even found like, um, especially with younger actors now who have to audition two, three, four, five times. Oh yeah. By the time they come, if they get the part, <laughs> by the time they come to start rehearsals, they know it. They know it. And yeah. uh, and, maybe and they set. have because they've had no direction from the director. Okay. During these auditions, right. They they come with they've had to build all these preconceived notions about what the character is like, what Absolutely. the play is about, right. without knowing anything about the character they're working with. So I'd prefer that's my only <laughs> my only technique rehearsal mm-hmm. technique is that we all learn it together at the same time. I also yeah. find I can't never have uh, even when I started. I can't um, I can do it if I have to, mm-hmm. but learning off the page. I don't find very uh, don't find it easy or satisfactory. You want to work with but others. I, well, I, it's also when I know what I'm doing and why I'm saying it. Yeah, it just goes in, right? And that goes for Shakespeare as well. Mm-hmm. You're um, on your feet. You're hearing the other people's lines. You're, yeah, yeah. you're getting to respond yeah. to that. And you know, if you, you know why you're saying something, yeah. I have to say this because of what they've just said to me. Right. But Shakespeare is. Uh, it's the easiest to learn yep. of uh, of any of them because of the rhythms and the mm-hmm. musicality of it. Yeah, but that's my only technique. And in a film, of course, you um, you are required to know your lines before you <laughs> get on the set. Yes, because there's uh, very little time for rehearsal. Right. Although with this, because most of the scenes are just Tony and I. 
yeah, you would have we would we would rehearse. It is quite theatery as yeah. a as a film, as a two hander. Theatrical. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. theatery. Not theatery? Oh theatrical. <laughs> I think you've just I think you've just invented a word. <laughs> yes. It's a theatrical film and it's based on a theater text. So you were both at Yeah, home I doing never that. knew, you know, I didn't know it was a play. It had never right. been performed. Right. And when uh I got the screenplay it, the, there's no based on a play so mm. I, I never had that yeah. uh in you know i think i'd have um i i i'm glad i didn't know because i think i would have been aware of its theatricality if oh, i cool. if i'd known yeah um uh, so it's a real surprise that it'd been a play okay but of course it's it's it it is is opened up to much more than a stage play which is you know confined by three walls mm-hmm. um so we see it goes into uh, uh pope francis's background when he yeah, be- becoming a priest and making the yeah. choice choices he did and it, it's uh i think it's a wonderful extraordinary piece of filmmaking by fernando morales the director mm-hmm. you know often you see a, a a stage play that's adapted for film and they sure. think, oh, we've got to do exteriors. And for no reason at all, people will be driving a car or, yes. you know, running down Completely. a street or whatever. <laughs> um, and uh, and this doesn't feel, it feels totally organic. Yeah. Yes, of course they're outside in the gardens right. talking. Mm-hmm. Of course they're in another part of the garden. And they're in and out of the Vatican and palaces and helicopters. And mm-hmm. So it is, uh, it is very much a film. You know, right? And you I mean, the other film that I did, which was based on a play, was Glengarry Glen Ross. Oh, sure. Even that was uh, hardly opened up. I think they had a, 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 I forget where, an exterior scene somewhere, right? With uh, maybe Jack Lemmon going to the house uh, where he was trying to sell the land. I can't remember properly. But that was uh, that felt like a film still. Yeah. Even though it was contained in. Okay. The walls. So they do have to be approached differently, stage and, and screen. Mm. But it sounds like for for film, you do try to kind of maybe preserve the rehearsal aspect of you're trying to stay in the moment and oh, absolutely, responding yeah. to your yeah. fellow, yeah. your co-stars, yeah. give you the most inspiration. Yeah. And the director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I imagine there are some films and TV shows where you get many takes and you get to do lots of wildly different things and others where you don't have very much time at all. Yeah, and you're, you're yeah. rushing through maybe two takes, and you hope you get it right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, that's the method I prefer. I don't, I don't like Wait, endless takes. Oh, okay. You um, want the quick? Okay. I, I don't like endless takes when mm. the director doesn't know what he's doing, oh, and sure, therefore sure. is asking for more takes because... so that they can then make the choices in the editing suite. I see. And. Okay. Um, it's it's the sign of a bad director when you he says oh let's do it again and, and you say uh, how, how? What, what do you want me to do a uh, little faster oh, boy. okay I see. and then a little maybe a little slower okay maybe a <laughs> little lighter a bit darker but interesting uh, it's uh, horrendous and it's uh, you know it's like doing a, a voiceover for a commercial where they say, okay like a that. little brighter yeah a little darker yes. now and I used to question it when I was doing voiceovers, but I I just do it now. Uh-huh. There's no point. Well, and that makes sense for voiceover, but that, I've yeah. never heard that for direct. If 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 you can tell a director doesn't have a specific vision in mind, yeah, it must be miserable. <laughs> yeah, be. It, it, yeah. Um, of course, I there was a particular director I worked with, and the the first day was like that. 
Mm-hmm. And I went to him the second day and I said, look, I can't work like this. This is how um, I need to, yeah. If you, you know, light or darker, we've got to know what direction we're going and the, what, what the character's motivation is, why right. he's saying it. Right. If it comes out lighter, that's fine. If it comes out darker, that's fine. But yes. darker, lighter doesn't mean anything to me. No. And he was very interested to hear that. Okay. Um, he'd never directed before. And he had sure. uh, an assumption of how you direct it. Right. The superficial notes. I mean, that is yeah. one way of doing it. Yeah. But, and you, I suppose that director is then able to draw from multiple takes, but you would prefer to have conversations with the director beforehand yeah, yeah. about yeah. the character and yeah. with your co-stars as yeah. well. Yeah. 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 Which kind of uh, director is Terry Gilliam like? He's... Um, it's safe to say you've worked with him the most. I, yeah. Um, what's interesting about Terry, and I discovered uh, when we made Brazil especially, was mm-hmm. that he uh, doesn't claim to know anything about acting. And okay. he's he knows what he wants to hear eventually. Huh. And he certainly knows how it, it look, well, he wants it to look visually. Right. But... He, he's employed to do the visuals. You're employed to do the to acting. Do the acting. Oh. And it's it's a bit like that. And hmm. it's uh, I've watched him struggle with uh, actors who who are, don't know really what you know who want more direction. Right. And right. Um, huh. you want to say I want to say something. You're not going to get it. <laughs> Just sure. work it out for yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. But he's what he does is. Uh, he has a, a, a great vision of what the film should be like and will be like. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he's very excited about it all. So there's there is a, there's a, quite a creative feeling on the set. You're not, you don't feel you're just filling in uh, somebody's vision by n- numbers or gotcha. rote, you know. Mm. He, he wants your input. Mm. And... Uh, if if you go to too far in the extreme, he'll he'll pull you back. Gotcha. But um, it was interesting that my first, well, interesting for me anyway. I don't know if your listeners find it interesting, <laughs> but um, I did two films when I was quite young in the uh, mid seventies, one after another with Stephen Frears, uh-huh. directing two films for the right. for the BBC, mm-hmm. and in both films I played uh, the leading role. But in the second film, especially before every take, Stephen would say Jonathan, and then he'd run his hand across down in front of his face oh. to remind me to make my face a blank canvas okay. onto which, uh, you know, that thing of whoever talks to me, you will see what my reaction is uh-huh. just from nothing on my face, but what you hear. And I thought for a long time that was film acting. That the sort of uh, karma, um, you know, uh, sort of blank face look or whatever um, would work. As opposed to theater. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I would go and see films that I was, had this uh, approach and I would think, God, there's nothing happening. Oh, you didn't like your... (laughs) No energy is deadly. It's not what I was thinking I was doing. Right. And then I get to work with Terry and far from Mm. saying... Jonathan less, less, less. He uh-huh. was more, more, more. Gotcha. And <laughs> it was more like the work I was uh, doing on stage. Very cool. Yeah. And okay. he also does... He, it's quite rare that he shoots a, a close-up. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Brazil is shot almost entirely on a wide-angle right. lens. 
Yeah. And uh, full length or waist up. And I remember looking at uh, rushes with him one day and mm-hmm. seeing a, and thinking, oh, that looks quite good, that shot of me. <laughs> and it was the only shot that he used a, a 50 mil lens, which is like a in portrait lens okay. in the movie. Oh. And, I, <laughs> and uh, he, uh, he acknowledged that I quite liked that shot and he never used it again. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. But it's Everyone has uh, their the different dip- techniques. I, I don't know, the difference is... I don't feel um, with between stage and screen what what I do. Mm. My work feels the same. There's the same thought processes and the same intensity of thought, hopefully. Mm. And uh, but it's, it's uh, as some great British actor once said, it's uh, it's the same as film only shouting theatre. <laughs> so um, okay. you just talk a bit louder. <laughs> but it is yes. there, there's something more happens between you and a, and an audience than in film. Yes. But right. I think what happens in film is between me and the other actors. Mm. And what happens in the theatre is obviously what happens between the actors, but it also is what happens between the actors and the audience. Right. And how the, you know, the slight shifts in the mood and the atmosphere of the audience can yeah. change the performance. Is it safe to say they're another scene partner? The live yeah, audience? yeah. Yeah, Whereas, and they could be a bad scene partner oh, sometimes. Sure. Absolutely. Well. And that makes you a better actor to work with a, maybe, to work with a bad scene Work with partner. a bad audience. Yeah, um, maybe. Well, it, no, well, the, the fun I find is in the long run especially mm. is, uh, is kind of harnessing an audience because you can hear Ooh. the play that they want to hear. Okay. And uh, I, you say to yourself, no, that's not the play I'm going to give you. Whoa. And you can shift things so you can kill the laughter, you know, get the laughter, sure, modulate sure. the laughter. Whoa. And that's, um, that's fun to do. That sounds, yeah. like a, that sounds like a high level of craftsmanship to be able to. Well, most actors do. I mean, you, you come off stage thinking, well, the danger is you can come off stage uh, judging the audience. And and thinking, Mm. oh, God, that that was terrible. Uh, They laughed all the way through it, da-da-da-da-da. And uh, you think that's a terrible show. And yet when you go out to come out the stage door and you meet them and you talk to people who've seen it, they've they've had just as valid an experience. Sure. You know, but... uh, So it doesn't do... And you have to not let that affect you. Yeah. You mustn't let it affect you and you think this is a bad thing that they're laughing at this point. Right. Although I did, um, I toured some of America and uh, China with the production of The Merchant of Venice about four or five years ago. Uh-huh. And in China, it was wow. all done with surtitles. Mm-hmm. And I was playing Shylock. And uh, mm-hmm. there's a scene where his daughter's um, gone, taken all his money. Uh, his friend Tubal has gone looking for the daughter reports back to him that um, his daughter has given this ring, which was a gift from uh, Shylock's wife to him, mm-hmm. uh, had given it away for a monkey. Uh-huh. And that, for me, um, and with the lines that follow, it's it's a very tragic moment. Yes. Cause, and he says... I got. I wouldn't have given that ring for a wilderness of monkeys. Right. It was so important to him. And the English-speaking audiences in America and Britain, um, mm-hmm. they, I think, found it just as 
moving a moment. Right. China, they found it hilarious. Really? And I was, <laughs> I was thinking, like, why, why is this? I'm doing the same things. I'm, I'm looking <laughs> as sorrowful and as hurt and uh, pained as I was anywhere else. Yeah. And because um, then we talked to the interpreter we were working with, and mm-hmm. she said, it's the word monkey. Okay. And the Chinese audience, when they saw this m- monkey, for some reason, they f- thought it was hilarious. <laughs> okay. So, um, but it changes that whole moment. Yeah. So instead, instead of our changing what we did on stage, or even the words, we changed the surtitle. Oh. So instead, she gave it away for for nothing, you know. We made really? it an innocuous word, oh, okay. and they stopped laughing. How interesting. Yeah. That's actual manipulation. Yeah, of the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but they did find a lot of it uh, very amusing. They found all the gay themes uh, mm. in Merchant of Venice uh, hilarious. Okay. And when we mm. asked, we had a and a in, uh, I think we were in Guangzhou, and we asked them more questions than they asked us. And yeah. we, one of the, the company... Um, asked, why are you laughing at uh, yeah. these gay themes? And um, one very brave, because it's it's denied uh, yes, it is. homosexuality, and it's uh, any sort of clubs or institutions or anything, they mm. close down almost immediately. Mm-hmm. And he was very brave to stand up and answer this question. He said, well, in China, we see um, a relationship uh, like this. We relate it to... Um, Holmes and Watson. And what? we were like, what? <laughs> and the, oh. they, when they watched oh. television of, Sher- of the, um, uh, the Holmes and Watson, or the Sherlock Holmes TV thing, they yeah. to them, that's a gay relationship. Really? And it's hilarious. Oh, and it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. So okay. I, I, yeah, I wanted to tell Holmes Benedict Cumberbatch, she's got a <laughs> huge uh, gay following there in are China. Some, yeah, there are some undertones, but it is not. It's more of a subtext than no, a, but it's it's not it's not hilarious it's not either. Canon. But no, so. and I think their laughter was laugh of one of nervousness as well. I was well, going to say, yeah, because um, there were lots of uh, gay guys in in the company, and when we were mm. we had this uh, social event, and they were asking this uh, young Chinese guy, where where is there a gay bar? Where mm-hmm. where'd you go? And, and he said, uh, "No, no, I am. I am not gay. None of my friends are gay. I don't know any gays. I'm nothing." And right. uh, we were like, "Hey, calm down. You're right. You're, you're with friends. It's okay." <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, wow. it was uh, it was very telling and very tragic, really. And that really, um, what an eye-opening experience to travel and do just find an entirely new context, especially yeah. for a classic. Yeah. It's a classic because we know it works, yeah. but. Well, they, they, if they've studied much in Venice at all, all they've studied is, is the trial scene. Okay. And it's very black and white to them that uh, Shylock is the bad guy yeah. and uh, the rest of the good guys. As is often the, I mean, maybe traditionally what he's depicted yeah, at is yeah, a yeah. little bit more. Uh, Whereas I was presenting a more sympathetic image. Yes. A man who was, uh, who'd become what he became. Uh, because of the way he'd been abused and mistreated by yes. the rest of society. Yeah. But uh, it was almost like a pantomime to them. It was, you know, it yeah. was like Hiss the villain. And yeah. they were very happy when they, when I was uh, dragged away to okay. become, a, a, be baptized as a Christian. Right. You could feel the audience and sometimes there was applause. And Interesting. So that's that thing of... You we can't... had that applause in London as well. Then, where there was a uh-huh. group of... Uh, 
happy clappy evangelicals oh wow who cheered and yeah. applauded when i was told i was to become a christian okay so suddenly a, made it a bit of an eye opener yeah yeah, yeah that's that scene partner that's yeah the, yeah and it's safe to the say that you don't for, want the one you don't want often yeah. but um i mean it's so interesting the idea of being able to adjust or manipulate yeah i don't want to say manipulate but and that comes no, back manipulate to not, is okay you do you yeah. try to manipulate and to get them around to your way of thinking otherwise there's no there's no point in do, being in the theater you're trying to convince otherwise. someone of something yeah. yeah because when my there was a uh well he was the head of the bbc from lord reith and his philosophy for the bbc was to educate mm. to inform and to entertain mm-hmm. and that's I mean, I have that in the back of my mind. Interesting. That, uh, especially with theatre, because when I started in theatre, it was political theatre. Yes. And you were trying to change people's minds and inform them. That says a lot about your philosophy as an actor, I think. Yeah, yeah. Inform, convince, almost. Yeah. And it's safe to say that for film, you don't have that scene partner. Your scene partner is the lens, which is not providing a a different energy or a a curveball or... Yeah, it's a bit colder, maybe. Well, I've it is no, except, except I disagree with it. The scene partner is your is your actual scene partner. Sure, I mean it, when I that. started uh, film acting, because it was a time when um, film cameras themselves you were actually shooting on film, mm-hmm. um, right. but the cameras were much more bulky and heavy, and once you got things set up, there wasn't a lot of room for movement or oh. divert diverging from what you set up in your camera rehearsal Mm. and i did have a sense that i was whatever i was doing i was accommodating the camera interesting and um maybe sometimes losing contact with the other actor Mm -hmm. and you were often asked if the camera couldn't get in at a certain angle you were you still are asked sometimes Mm -hmm. to act to a a piece of uh, paper stuck to the lens you know just off the center of the lens Mm. and uh Mm. Or a, you know, a, an object, a piece of wood, and I was once asked, uh, wh- "What does it feel like uh, working with a piece of wood?" And I said, "It, it happens all the time, so okay. I mean, it didn't worry me." <laughs> okay, um, right. But now cameras are much lighter. Okay. Um, there's much less uh, time for setups of lighting because they're you know more flexible okay. and can shoot at lower lights, and. Uh, you can just be, and you can see it in the two popes. Yeah. You can just be having a conversation. With your Knowing co-star. that the camera, instead of you finding the camera, the camera will be finding you. Interesting. And you just get on with it, and they, they'll get it. Right. And that's more, that's more of a recent, you've seen that change. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And, it, and you have more mobility. You can, do, yeah, yeah. you can move around a little more. Yeah. And you're not having to do the... Um, You've you've gone away from the blank face reaction <laughs> thing. Yeah, I might go back to it one day. Might be easier. Um, <laughs> It'd be easier yeah. to just do nothing. Yeah, do just, nothing. Yeah, yeah. Is so, is so much of film? I've sort of always wondered this. Like you mentioned, seeing those films and not being super pleased with how you looked, mm. how, how the performance turned out. Is so much of film acting just is is seeing yourself on screen and then taking what you like from that and and abandoning what you don't and kind of adjusting going forward. You can do that. Mm-hmm. I discovered over the years that it's a dangerous thing to do. Okay. Um, a lot of actors like to um, go and look at the monitor after mm-hmm. a take yeah. and see what they're doing and adjust. 
and I don't want to see it. Okay. I don't want to. I don't want to hear my voice even when they're mm. doing a playback. Mm. Um, okay. Because I've found again that what you're doing is you're working to your taste, and you're adjusting mm. your performance to what you think you want to see. Ooh. And yeah. that's not always the best way. No. And I find you, some, you give yourself to um, sometimes the, the what happens accidentally mm-hmm. is uh, is the best take. Cool. It'll have a, a different kind of energy to it. Right. But I think you know if if you still if you're trying to be truthful to the scene and truthful to your, whoever you're acting with, it doesn't help. To, to look at the to monitor. Checking in on If you adjust your performance, then he or she will go and look, and, oh, I, I don't like the way I look in that one. I'm going to look right. like this this time. It's Instead been, of maintaining the, the thoughts, you know. It's a bit of an ego You're more concerned thing. with how you look. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not the job in the moment. Certainly. No, no. No. But you don't have a problem watching the final product. It depends oh. how successful it's been. <laughs> okay. I've found... Um, okay. I've watched the two popes yes. because I've been traveling to um, you know, lots of film festivals and screenings and uh, and doing Q and A's after screenings. Yeah. I found I, I've watched the two popes more than uh, any other film I've watched because I, I've, wow. you know, you, I, I've seen it a number of times, and then you go to Buenos Aires and mm. for the. Uh, premiere there and you think well I'd, it'd be really interesting to watch it with this yeah. audience yeah and uh and it, and it was it was uh, it was interesting because mm. they had a slightly different take on the film they didn't mm. laugh as much mainly because they were mm. reading subtitles oh mm-hmm. but um mm. no monkeys in there right i don't think mention. different um <laughs> but uh, we we were told um that uh, their response was really good because okay. the, a lot of the worry about, uh, about uh, showing it in Argentina was that did we get it right, uh, the political totally. aspect of the film. Yeah. And they were congratulating us and saying uh, they they liked the way we had dealt with that whole issue. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's very recent history for, for Argentina, what what happened with the colonels, and it's, very, it's, still, it's still very raw and very yeah. painful. Yeah. And uh, you don't want to abuse that. Uh, there's sensitivity sensitivity towards it. Yeah, there's a, there sounds like there was a lot of pressure on this film. It, it could have um, it could have turned out awful. It could have t- yeah, turned it could. out poorly yeah. received and yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. know. It's but it's just a, a what's great about it is that because uh, you don't really know. Um, it's not a, a genre film, right. um, so you don't know what the audience is really. And the audience can think, do I really want to see two old men talking for two hours? Sure. And then when you go, you're in, you're sitting in on a screening and you, you, that very first laugh that comes of the opening, just the opening little scene. Yeah. It's a big laugh always and it's a whoosh of laughter. Yeah. And you can Mm. feel the audience kind of adjust, relaxing. Yeah. And, uh, Saying, oh, this is okay. We can watch this. That's interesting too, because a lot of people are probably seeing it um, in a different way. A lot of people are probably watching this movie not in a theater surrounded by people. Yeah, yeah. I saw it by myself on my couch. Right. And I, cert- I, I definitely, I found the movie way funnier than I thought it would be. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. But I imagine. I mean, do you have thoughts on how Netflix is changing the industry and changing movies in particular? 
Well, um, yeah, I don't, and I and I don't think it's a bad thing or a negative thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, what they what they're doing is they're in some respects, anyway, they're making films that studios won't make. I mean, I, I can't imagine. Uh, well, I know that uh, a studio would wouldn't touch this film. Sure. Um, yeah. Just on its concept. Right. And uh, certainly wouldn't have uh, put the resources into it that Netflix has. Right. Building a Sistine Chapel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, this film is being seen in cinemas, yes. as is uh, The Irishman and Marriage Story. Mm-hmm. And like any other film, a studio film or not, if, if it's doing well... It'll stay in the cinema. Okay. I thought they were only putting it in for two weeks so it would qualify for exactly. an Oscar nomination. But right. no, they, 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 it's still out in it's cinemas. It's box office, yeah. And I think if if the quality of their work wasn't as good, I would think, no, you, you are detracting from cinema. Mm. But they're still what they're making is they're still very cinematic. Yeah. And yeah. of course, more and more people are watching. They're not watching... Uh, the, these things on small TV screens. The, you know, you go to people's houses. The giant TVs. Yeah, um, sure. giant TVs. Projection. Sure. But it, however they're watching it, even if they're on the traveling to work, watching it on their phones. Yeah. They're, they're, they're going to get something from it, and it yeah. is being seen. And maybe they wouldn't have seen it otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And like, <laughs> I think it's a good point. It's because it's good. It's yeah, that the quality is there. That, yeah, yeah, that it's worth yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it weren't, then we would be probably not having that discussion. Yeah, and they're producing some wonderful documentaries as well. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And there's obviously there's a lot to see. I'm a little busy this time of year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm sure you are. It's a, so you've never seen a film more than you've seen this one of yours. No. And you've. Is it safe to say you've never? This is a campaign. I mean, you've been doing the interviews, like you said, during your Broadway show, you were talking about this movie. Yeah. This is yeah. the most that you've ever kind of done press for a movie. Right? Yes, definitely. And ha- what is that? What is your relationship with that aspect of the job? It's been, um, because, it, because it's this movie, yeah. it's been great. Okay. Because I've been traveling with uh, mm. uh, not, not many other actors, it's just me. Uh, Tony's not yeah. traveled. And there's not a lot of other characters in the movie. No, so. but they, I'm traveling with the uh, the director and mm-hmm. the producer and uh, the writer, who are all um, fascinating and interesting people to mm-hmm. be with. Cool. And the film, where if the film hadn't been received as well as it's been received, and you were trying to do a hard sell on something, okay, it would be entirely different. But yes. the, it's the uh, enthusiasm you get from the journalists, even. Okay. It's yeah. uh, it's phenomenal. You don't have to be dishonest in no, promoting no, something. Yeah. No. Which is good. Yeah. I'm and sure. then this you know, this subject matter, you can't be dishonest about it. It is what it is. It's all there to see. Right. There's nothing hidden. Right. Yeah. You know. Oh, you're not looking at it the right way. It's no, it's a comedy. No, it's a you know, it's uh mm. it's a multi layered film that will yeah. have resonances with anyone who watches it. Yeah. Catholic or not. Because if you didn't like it, you would be it'd be exhausting to uh Put up, a, put up an act yeah. that you... Yeah, if, well, if I didn't like perform. it, it was probably meant it was a bad film and I wouldn't... Nobody would <laughs> want to see it anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. But, uh, no, it's... Um, I, I've been, I'm not doing anything quite on this scale. Usually yeah. it's... Uh, you go to the um, the press launch and mm-hmm. uh, it's like a two-day junket where everyone right. packs into a particular hotel and you talk to round tables and right. all that thing. Mm-hmm. And you might get 
some radio or you might get a TV show. But yeah. this, um, you know, it, it's involved a lot of traveling, sadly, uh, okay. for the planet. Um, and I think, <laughs> okay. I think, you know, somewhere down the line, we're going to have to uh, address this because um, there's a lot of people flying around selling their wares. Okay. Uh, and it could, you know, it, we're, we're a visual medium mm-hmm. and a, a technological medium, and we should be able to do more from stay a, at home remote? and uh, okay. you know, from a remote. That's a great point. Yeah. This is a conversation that we're all starting to have, it yeah. sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm very grateful for the air miles. That's great, but uh, <laughs> you're not so accruing. grateful for the damage I'm you're doing. You're about to go back to London very soon. Yeah. What it's time? Really I've got to go, actually. Forth. You probably have to go soon. Um, yes, I have to let, I let you go soon. Um, we're all about advice on this podcast, of course, especially for early career actors. Um, if you could go back in time and give you... I know you, di- you didn't originally want to get into acting. and you was it, Is it true that you're, um, a teacher submitted your RADA application? Yeah, well, he, um, yeah, so I, was, I was studying art. Yeah. And I was doing drama as a subsidiary. Okay. Purely because I was told it was the easiest course to do. Mm. And I had no interest in theater, and I was more interested in mm. painting. But I was acting at college, and uh, this tutor from another college who'd been an actor saw me, and he said, have you ever th- mm. thought of being an actor? And I said, no. And he said, well, I think you should. Mm. And I think you should go to RADA. And okay. uh, so he did. He sent off the, got the application forms, and he coached me through two audition speeches. Okay. And uh, <laughs> I got accepted, and that was, that was the beginning of my real education in theatre uh-huh. and uh, right and acting. And uh, I, th- I think the one thing that uh, was a couple of th- the things that were most valuable to me. Mm-hmm. Um, with the actual the the voice work, uh, okay. we had voice work. We had diction. We had movement classes. We had Alexander technique. Oh, cool! We had uh, improvisation classes. Okay. And I was very lucky uh, to work with, as my improv teacher was Keith Johnson, mm-hmm. who is a kind of guru of improv. And all these things like the TV show, Whose Line Is It Anyway, and yes. improv clubs all Which come from on. the games and yeah. improvisations that he invented. So he was my teacher. So that was... Huh. And um, the mime teacher who worked with him, Ben Benison. Oh, very cool. So that was uh, that was the, the best thing that could have happened to me about Rada was that mm. because it, my confidence grew. Mm. And my performance confidence grew. Mm. And you weren't afraid of making mistakes or messing right. up or right. anything. You could make all your mistakes in, in, in these improv sessions. Mm-hmm. And it was only a mistake because they were mostly geared to being funny and gotcha. uh, getting a punchline at the end of the, sure. you know, it was a, a gag improv. Okay. Um, and then my first job, uh, that was the, the most important thing. Mm. And if, you know, if you could give advice to a young person and say, well, what you need to do is you all need to go and work at the Everyman in Liverpool under this right. particular director because <laughs> you will be given free reign. Mm. Um, I was, you were players cast, so you never, you know, you didn't have a choice in what you're going to do. Right. So cool. I started off playing Elbow, the comic figure in Measure for Measure, oh. the comic policeman. Uh-huh. You don't know Elbow? I don't. <laughs> 
<laughs> I've, I've, I don't know if I know measure for measure. Um, no, Elbert, anyway. And, uh, <laughs> and then I was a singer in Caucasian Truck Circle, the narrator. And you go through and then, you know, by the end of the season, you're playing Richard III or you're playing Edgar right. and Lear. And you're doing lots of new plays Very cool. written for that company. Awesome. Um, and performing to... Uh, what we knew to be an unsophisticated audience. They weren't necessarily a theatre-going audience. Okay. There were two theatres in Liverpool. One was the the Playhouse, which, as the name you know, suggests, it was the traditional theatre house right. where you'd get kind of West End shows and occasionally new shows and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we were the, uh, what were we? The lefty, um, yeah. anarchic... <laughs> upstarts yes. who were uh, trying to find a new audience. And that was the best way to start. Sure. Yeah. really was. Especially coming off of that sounds like it's much more, um, you get to be more in the moment and yeah. more spontaneous. And but more. I also had, you know, what, what was important is that, yes, you can be spontaneous and of the moment, but if you can't be heard, if you can't tell the audience oh. um, the way you're thinking with your body language or how you relate mm. to another person on stage with mm-hmm. the shapes you're making... Cool. It, it, there's no point. So th- those classes, mm. um, you don't at the time you don't think about it. You think, oh god, I got another bloody voice class. Totally, yeah. But uh, you don't know that that's it's maintained me for nearly fifty years because it's in you now. That yeah. training is ingrained. You know, I rarely you, you learn how to use your voice. I rarely lose my voice mm. um, yeah. through strain or whatever. You've, yeah. you've got a technique which is supporting you all the time. And it was the same when I was an art student. I, it was a very uh, rigorous education. Uh, yes, you were free to paint and do whatever you wanted, mm-hmm. but for four hours every Friday we the had basics. object drawing. Okay. And we would have life classes. And yeah. uh, it was that basic work yeah. which, you know, you honed your skills and honed your technique. And uh, that's the that's, the, that's, that's the only advice I would give to young actors. Yeah. Uh, that and uh, don't be late and join the union. And join the union, yeah. okay. Don't be late. Yeah, it's very important. That's excellent advice. That's a good practical note to end on. Yeah. Thank you, Jonathan. Okay, thank this you. Is lovely. Thanks. In the Envelope, an awards podcast, is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Gross Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to podcast producer extraordinaire Jamie Muffet and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.